And so I got to pick up the phone. I got to be completely open and honest. I didn't skimp on the honesty portion at all. I basically just spilt the beans. I spilt my guts about what was going on. And I got to experience a new sense of uh, freedom and happiness through just being honest with myself and another human being about who I was and what was going on. Because at that point, it was more important to stay sober than anything else. Okay, welcome to the Recovery Edgecast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. Today, my guest is Jason Potter. Hello. Hi, Jason. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Oh, thank, you. thank you for including me. Let's see, I think I met you, the first time I met you was at the New Hope meeting in um, Firestone, Friday night. But I've seen you at a couple other meetings. Um, and... You're, you've had sober time longer than I have, but I've just met you like recently this year. So it's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. I'm getting to learn a lot from a lot of different people nowadays. It's fantastic. That's great. Um, so what is your life like today? Why don't you give us a little background? Oh, well, I suppose, um, yeah, I never really had much direction early in life. Uh, my parents were very uh, not so controlling, which was, you know, had good and bad. Uh, I had a lot of freedom, a lot of liberty to go out and do what I wanted to when I wanted to, and I did. Um, kind of got off track with my life from an early age, started looking for a little bit more direction, some like a community, something to fit into, and so I enlisted and joined the military. And uh, you know, I graduated basic training, and uh, I believe I turned 21 while I was in basic training, and got set forth into a whole new community of uh being a soldier, getting to learn how to be a man in the armed services, representing the country, and learning how to give back, as well as how to have fun as well. Uh, fast forward and, you know, kind of uh, well to, uh, overstayed my welcome in the military a little bit, and it was time for life just to move on. So I tra transitioned to the next community, which was Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm really grateful just to go from one awesome community to the next and actually get to see value in that today. And I suppose today I just try to you know, live life the best I can one day at a time. Uh, you know, I work in the aerospace industry. I'm very active with my family as well as with community and social circles. And I'm always looking for more. I'm always looking for more skills, abilities, and new hobbies. So that's kind of where I'm at today is just trying to cultivate a little bit of character and grow into something new every day. So um, what's your go-to hobby these days? Oh, the main one, it had been arts and crafts for a long time, uh, just drawing, putting together popsicle stick houses, and that transitioned slowly into drone and photography, and I got introduced to it through a good friend that I met in, uh, in a few of my social circles, and I don't know, I've just felt alive. I just really feel alive getting to see life from new and different perspectives, both in aerial as well as through the lens of a camera. Um, Lately, I've been doing a lot more Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and just getting to learn a li little bit more self-discipline, body awareness, and uh, I'd have to say rock climbing is still my number one because I do that about five times a week, whereas the other two, it's more like two or three times a week. So rock climbing is my main go-to hobby and adventure lifestyle that I enjoy nowadays. Well, I think you're warmed up. How about you go ahead and tell us what it was like before, what happened, and what it's like today? And um, you can go as early as you want, up to your first drink, however you see fit on telling your story. 
floor is all yours. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity again. I really appreciate getting a chance to uh, give back what was so freely given to me. Um, you know, from a young age, I suppose the normal in my life really was set and established just from the basis uh, that I had with the relationships with my parents as well as my siblings. Um, there were never a lot of like friends. I never really saw what long-term friendships or committed relationships look like apart from those within my daily household. So it was just kind of the normal that, um, you know, people just existed in their own little family bubbles type of thing. And that was established as a normal in my life for a long time. I remember uh, just having a craving for adventure and just being, just jumping on my bike when I was a kid and just riding around all over the town and basically just making my own way, making friends and going out and just experiencing life as an individual. Um, yeah, I fast forward to uh, like, you know, high school and there were a lot of like peak emotional moments where I didn't realize the significance of them when I was going through them, but it's basically where my the foundation of my personality was first being established and formed. Um, my father passed away of cancer when I believe he was only 45 years of age at the time, and I was 16. So that ingrained in me like a powerful sense of things just weren't all right. It was something I never really discussed or talked about or grew through. It just kind of became a new normal, so to speak. And the one thing I did to help just kind of get a little peace of mind, ease and comfort, was I would pick up a drink. I would pick up a drink and I would start drinking. And that became uh, just a kind of a way of life, a way of dealing with things. I'd never really seen any need for like community and the friends that I did have at the time, it was mostly just, you know, friends for benefits type of thing. Like I had the car, they had a place to hang out or the bong or the bottle, you know, and we would just kind of help each other out in certain ways to achieve what we thought we really wanted at that time. Uh, so that was always, that was my normal for, uh, relationships. Uh, fast forward a little bit and all of a sudden I'm, you know, you hit that age of 18 and suddenly, you know, your parents aren't there to tell you what to do. Suddenly you have to start parenting yourself. Um, I was never really much good in that. Uh, you know, I was a crummy employee and even worse boss. And I feel like we have to treat ourselves like an employee and a boss sometimes and negotiate with ourselves. So I definitely saw the need for, you know, some outside help and outside intervention. Uh, my brother had just gotten back from serving in the Iraq war and he had himself like a new TV, a new car, a new attitude, new outlook. All things that I thought like, hey, seems like a great direction to go with. So I decided to let go of what I was doing and, you know, strike out into the great unknown. I didn't really talk to anyone about it. I just kind of made a firm decision that this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And I committed to it. And I just kind of threw myself in the military um, it was very uncomfortable. It was very awkward and weird for a little while. There was an adjustment phase. But the most important part I'd like to say is just having the community there, people who were going through the same thing, like-minded individuals, and we all got to go through it together. Uh, I, still I still have a picture of me uh, going through basic training with my military ID, and I looked like a Martian. I was born and raised in Colorado, and you know it's kind of dry here. And then I got to go to basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia, and it was very humid. It was very hot. And uh, I, my eyes were all sunken into my head. They <laughs> freshly shaved my head, and I just kind of looked out of place, you know. 
But I'm really grateful for that because through all that like turbulent, chaotic stuff going on externally, I got to learn new coping mechanisms. I got to learn that I could deal with a lot of stressful things in life successfully. And I could go through with it without having to like just kind of shrink or crumble up. And so it really taught me how to be a man at an early age. And I got raised by the military, so to speak, by a group of my peers. And I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but yeah, uh, fast forward, I got activated within the States into Fort Hood, Texas. And it was amazing. My The drinking took on a whole new perspective there. Um, I was a young man, like 22 years old, making really good money. And as a result, we all got to go out. I was part of the hospital there, which is Kerdamsey, the Carl R. Darnall Army Medical Center. And we would all get together on weekends, and we would all head up to Austin. And I remember 6th Street and going up and down the bars there and just getting to interact with people and just get to drink is like a social lubricant, a way of just kind of like fitting in to the masses. It still stands out going to some of the bars and nightclubs and just getting to go out, have fun, and be a part of, you know, something bigger. It's a very exciting thing, getting to experience this whole new exhilarating lifestyle with alcohol striking out on my own. Um, and then a time came when, you know, I got deactivated and I got to return home to Colorado. And I remember people mentioning to me at a few times that the party was over, but I didn't quite get the memo. I didn't quite get that memo that the party was over. Uh, so at this point, I'd been uprooted and replanted multiple times. Uh, I was kind of like a floater, never really did fit in. And, you know, I had these emotional natures and things going on internally that I was never comfortable actually expressing, never really, never really had it as a habit, basic forms of communication, of just being honest, uh, or having the insides match the outside, so to speak. And that led in time to me basically just burning my whole life down. I ended up having a, I don't know, having kind of a psychiatric break, so to speak, um, where the alcohol stopped working but I stopped doing it, uh, but I couldn't stop drinking at all. And it basically led to me getting a uh, DUI uh, where I got into an altercation with my roommate at the time, decided to jump in my car, still drunk, drive down to the local shopping center where I got a phone call from a few people um, informing me of my situation and what I was like up against. And rather than, you know, getting out and doing the logical thing and walking back home or something, you know, thinking it through, I decided to get back in my car and drive right back to the police. So I basically asked the police for help. Um, you know, that's my story is I basically just turned myself into the police while still doing it because I knew something needed to change. I knew some type of outside help was needed. Um, and they did help in some ways. They gave me some consequences for my actions. Um, I ended up having another psychiatric break just a few days later and getting committed for alcoholic insanity. And, you know, a normal person, they would probably have just stopped at that point. They would have been like, okay, it's time to put the bottle down. It's time to build a new life. It's time to get on track. Uh, my first reaction was to actually leave the uh, psychiatric hold and go get a bottle, go get alcohol. Um, it was a great journey, though. It was awesome because I got to learn a lot of things from a lot of different people along the way. Uh, my own actions, ooh, definitely insane, insane to have all the consequences already on top of me and then in the light of all that damage I just did to myself and others to get back in to my vehicle after getting released under a 
and having a DUI and getting released from a psychiatric hold and just start drinking and going right back to driving was complete insanity. So that was kind of like the normal. I thought that was normal. I thought that was all right at the time. So um, first of all, when somebody had told you that the party's over, this was after the military and you got home? Yes, I was in the reserve still. Okay. Um, was that family or friends or both? Oh, mostly family. People who really knew me. Yeah. Tell me, yeah, the party's over. It's time to get the priorities straight. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't quite get through to me. Yeah. So that was, I guess I would consider that as one of the first signs somebody's telling you you might have a problem. Um, I remember hearing that, you know, the party's over. And I didn't get the memo either. When you got your DUI, you mentioned you kind of turned yourself in here. It was almost like a moment of surrender for you. Like you almost took the first step here. Like you knew that things were unmanageable and you had just kind of surrendered yourself to the law because you wanted some help of some sort. Um, But after that, you still had the insanity. Um, I mean, you kind of said that yourself, of course. I would never call anybody insane. But <laughs> looking at what happened here, that was some pretty insane stuff, you know? But you learned a lot on the way um, as you're going through these things. What finally got you to test the rooms or AA? Because I imagine unless... After this, you probably hit a bottom somewhere. What was that like? When did that happen? Oh, well, the bottom that actually got me into the rooms was years after this happened. Oh. I had actually um, decided to quit drinking on my own for a while there, and I was successful in that endeavor, and I'd actually built up a great life for myself. Um, But... I was up in the mountains with like a new girlfriend, a new home, new job, new everything. And things were really looking up. It was an, an, an uphill climb, steadily improving. What made you move? Um, basically, I couldn't be grateful for what I had. And so I had to get another drink. My mind just brought me back to, wouldn't alcohol just enhance this? Mm-hmm. And when I did pick up that day, it, it set the whole cycle in motion again of hitting mm-hmm. that same familiar bottom. And the main thing that really kind of uh, blew, or it was kind of like the light in that my ego had created, or a chink in my ego armor, that the light of reason finally did start to shine through, was one particular resentment that I had against the, the young lady I was dating at the time, in which I was upset and mad at her because she had a relationship that worked with her uh, family as well as her father, and something that I had really looked up up to. Um, but I never could really express that, that I was upset about that. And it just, I would drink about that, but it would never actually fix it or solve it. Like uh, the problem would still be there the next day. And it never brought any type of lasting comfort, peace, or solace. Um, so really the main thing that got me into looking for a different answer outside myself, which I found in AA, and a uh, few certain spiritual principles to live by, was basically just not having a life that didn't work and wanting something in life more than anything else, and, but not being able to actually follow through or make it a reality. Just having a life that just didn't work. You tried to quit before 
um, before you found AA? Yeah, I tried successfully for a month and a few days. Mm -hmm. And I, I did stay sober. I was kind of dry, but I still stayed sober through it. But there, you know, just came the very trivial, small reason to drink again, which was I couldn't be grateful for what I had. And that, in turn, set the whole cycle, cycle right back into motion. Mm -hmm. And it started with just picking up one drink. Do you remember how you felt during this month that you were dry? You know, mostly just anxious. Anxious, like I was waiting for the other foot to fall. Like uh, the other shoe to drop. Yeah, the other shoe to come down. Like yeah. there, there was something. There was something waiting that I wasn't quite like getting, but and I, I couldn't really push it away at that time, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So then, you made your way to AA. Where was your first meeting, and how did you find it? Oh, the first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous I attended was the Longs Peak Group off of Third and Terry in Longmont, Colorado, and I basically just looked it up online and walked down there. Um, I remember very uh, very specifically that there were only like two or three people in the rooms, and I just hit my emotional bottom going in there. It was like a candlelight meeting, and I got to hear a lot of like direct, honest truth um, that I kind of took personally at the time, but it's exactly what I needed to hear. It's exactly what I needed to hear for me to start seeing the truth of my situation, who I was, what I was going through, and how I could best improve. Hmm. So after that meeting, did you quit? Yes, I did. I have really? not I have not taken a drink since um was it February February twelfth of twenty fifteen. Ah, oh, you know, I think I forgot to ask you um your sobriety date and your home group. Wow. <laughs> Which is fine. Why don't you give us that? And yeah, my uh, home group is the Mead Meeting out in Mead, Colorado. And uh, they meet there regularly on Thursdays. And it's an awesome group of people. It just recently became my home group because uh, COVID and everything has shut down Long's Peak Group. And, mm -hmm. you know, just trying to find our way to in-person meetings personally. Because I find a lot of value in the in-person connection and community. All right. So then in your first year after you come to AA, what's your first year looking like? How's it feeling? Well, I was in a sober living uh, home where I was the only sober person in the home. There were about six people living underneath one roof, which sounds like the premise for a reality TV show. And it kind of was. Uh, my first year, there were um, basically me getting readjusted to life with a lot of chaos and sanity um, getting my wisdom teeth taken out, getting put on medication for my wisdom teeth, and then a roommate stealing my uh, medication. Uh, there was a 55-year-old 50, gentleman as well that I helped out a lot, and uh, he, drank, he drank a lot of beer, he drank a lot of sodas, and he smoked a lot of cigarettes, and his body was falling apart on him on a very young age. Um, and, you know, I got to just try to be helpful to him. When he would fall down, I would help pick him up. When he would go off the handle or need help with something, I would try to help him out. Um, my first year, I was also still on the run from my DUI. I had never actually faced the music, so to speak. And with getting sober came a new awareness of a lot of different things. And one of them was uh, my DUI and not taking responsibility for my past. So I got to turn myself in and... Uh, I again, again, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I got to turn myself in to the Jefferson County Pol uh, Police Department, 
and they actually had me go appear in front of a judge, and she basically just instructed me to go to the probation office and get started on probation. Um, it was very frustrating. I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. I thought X, Y, or Z with my own expectations and demands I was putting on things. And I, I remember having the insane thought of things aren't going my way. I might as well just run out in front of traffic. And rather than acting on that, I remember what I had learned in some of these rooms. So I got to take a deep breath and do the serenity prayer. And I got to actually experience what it's like just to accept a lot of the things that I couldn't change in that moment. And I found a lot of peace and solace with that. Uh, the, the miracle happened pretty quickly with me, my uh, first month in recovery. Um, from day one, I had a, a phone list. I had people's numbers who had been through what I had been through um, on an emotional or spiritual level, but had gotten to the other side of it, have, had gotten to mature and grow and become new people through it, more resilient people, people who could handle life on life's terms. And I got to call them my first month, uh, or day 28. I got to call up my sponsor at that time. Um, I was still in the military. I was doing my reserve thing down in Aurora. And I, I thought it would be a good idea to check online at my ex-girlfriend. And I discovered that she had already moved on, that, you know, she... She has a lot going for her, so she decided to move on, which is awesome. And me, I didn't take it so well. And I remember there being a bar downstairs where the option to go drink was there. It was ready. It was available. But I'd already starting to see a little bit of like truth and honesty through just me trying to drink my problems away. And so I got to pick up the phone. I got to be completely open and honest. I didn't skimp on the honesty portion at all. I basically just spilt the beans. I spilt my guts about what was going on. And I got to experience a new sense of uh, freedom and happiness through just being honest with myself and another human being about who I was and what was going on. Because at that point, it was more important to stay sober than anything else. And I'm still extremely grateful. I, I feel as if I was living in a, a prison, a prison of my own making in my head for many years due to my own inability to get fully honest or self-expressed with other people and form and develop relationships through being vulnerable. Um, I got to practice all those things that night, and I've been practicing them ever since, and that's one of the main reasons I believe I'm sober today is because I got to surrender what I wanted to do, and I got to be open and honest and practice a few simple spiritual principles. Your sobriety date again is... Uh... Oh, my sobriety date is February 12th, 2015. So you just celebrated... Six years? Six years, that's right. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's definitely a, a win for the we, not for the me. <laughs> Eventually, you are growing spiritually, and you're growing as an individual, and you get into your second year. Um, are things changing for you, your outlook on life, you know, as time goes on? Are things getting better? Are you getting serenity? How's that going? How was that going for you, like in the second year? And when did you start noticing that, you know, your sanity is coming back? Uh, well, I suppose the second year was more about uh, finding an awesome career path and mm -hmm. just a purpose in life uh, to go with, to go hand in hand with, uh, you know, just being sober and just finding an actual purpose in life. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I was kind of, I was kind of over it. I was 
doing so many meetings, doing so much stuff within the program that I just kind of got burnt out on it at some point. And I decided to go start doing things on my own with my own. I guess the program worked so well, I stopped doing it for a while. And I got to experience a whole new bottom. I got to experience a whole new uh, emotional bottom with my own uh, tolerance for my own justifications, trying to do things on my own without actually needing other people. And I suppose it's kind of like a bang head here type of learning experience where I can just repeat it as much as I want. Um, the mistakes or the hubris of trying to be an individual in a life where we're all really just different pieces in one big uh, organism. Um, so I got to experience that on a whole nother level. And so I actually got, but instead of that leading me back to the bottle, it led me to further commit myself to the program and it helped me get experience life with a new awareness. I would say like a painful amount of awareness to a lot of different things. Um, there were, there's about six months where I felt as if I was floating to two inches above the two inches above the ground, just kind of a sense of freedom from from myself and just getting to understand myself a little bit more. Once I really did did dive back into the work and actually start doing it again with a renewed vigor, and uh, you know I feel like it's an onion process where that first year was just one layer of the onion got to work through, and there's another layer of it. There's always another layer waiting. And uh, the more I look back on my life, the more I realize that, you know, just because I turned six years old doesn't mean internally I didn't, I wasn't still that five-year-old, you know? And so now I got all these other layers and I get to, you know, things that are out of place. I get to experience a certain type of coalescence a little bit when I can be honest, open, and actually start getting expressed about some certain things. And, you know, just comes again from allowing myself to be vulnerable, being open and honest with other people. And I find just writing it down, just writing it down and getting to find a new um, personality. One that comes with actually not having to be my thoughts or ideas or associate myself as them. But getting to actually write those down onto paper, get to see it from, uh, from outside the box, so to speak and get to cultivate a new attitude, awareness, or, uh, or consciousness, one that is the observer and not the observed. Because I can't necessarily, if I can view something, then I'm not that thing, because I can view it. Uh, the source of self is the awareness of it, not the thing itself. But if I never actually write it down and look at it, I can just be stuck in that pattern for who knows how long. My whole life uh, is a possibility. But today I, I find freedom to be way more beneficial than just living out a deterministic set pattern of uh, emotional knee jerks and reflexes. Uh, I've also discovered uh, to some degree I'm addicted to my emotions, to my thoughts and emotions and my emotional self-esteem roles. It reaffirms to me on an internal level who I am. And it's basically just being a dog chasing its own tail, being stuck in some type of repetitive pattern until I'm willing to actually take a look at that, get it down on paper, go through that with someone else, and then ask for a little bit of direction on a different direction to go. You know, I find uh, myself repeating patterns. And even at six years in, in sobriety, um, there's some patterns that I thought I had dealt with at year one or two that the cycle has repeated. And so it's definitely a progress thing, not perfection. And I'm really grateful just to get to work on my bad personality, my quirky traits, and actually get to understand it a little bit more today instead of just knowing it.
So what is this, all this self-improvement, I guess we can categorize it as that. What does it have to, what does that have to do with staying sober for you? Oh, that's my way of seeking is seeking something greater than myself is learning how to understand. And I find when I truly understand myself, others, life, the world I fit into and look at things from a more whole perspective, not just from one side or angle that I might be stuck in at that moment, but being able to consider a lot of different objective uh, ways of looking at things, different belief systems. One of my biggest issues in life was I thought I had arrived at one particular correct point of view, opinion, or outlook when it might have been correct for the day, but I've been learning that life is a very dynamic, constantly changing, uh, constantly evolving, changing thing, and with it, I need to change as well, and the viewpoint that might have worked yesterday might not work so well today, and I might need to grow into something new or different today. So then, speaking of today, what does your routine look like, and what specifically are you doing to maintain that serenity and stay sober? You know, tell us what it's like today. Okay, well, today, I got I got up at a decent hour, about 6.30 in the morning, took one good look outside, decided to cancel my morning run, and instead got into some books, got into some books and into some dead TED Talks. I had a few questions, so I, I posed the question to the internet and helped myself be open to that. I feel as if the uh, the most monotonous, small, simple things in my day, which usually are in the morning and at night, an hour after waking up, an hour before going to sleep, are some of the most important things I do in my day because they're so consistent. So the most important thing I, I did today was I woke up and I made my bed. I made a conscious decision to turn that which I can't actually hold in my hand, things that aren't tangible, uh, to turn that over to something greater than myself. I made the conscious decision to ask that specifically for some freedom from my old ways, those old repetitive patterns. Maybe for a little bit of help to make some new mistakes today, because I don't have a lot of tricks. Have it in my routine to work with others, showing up and trying to help other people out. And I got to meet up with a few people who are going through a much harder time than I am. And I got to just be there for them. I got there just to listen, because they... They just wanted to talk a lot, so sometimes the best thing I can do is not offer any opinions, not try to fix anything, not really do anything, but just be there and hold the intention of being present for someone else. Uh, one of the most important things I do nowadays is meditation, I'd have to say, simply because I get a little bit squirrely. I get a little, I want to call it manic energy, um, in which I have to just be constantly doing things. And I find that I can be addicted to distraction or I can try to cultivate some inner peace and some happiness and some flow state like energy by just surrendering that and focusing on my breathing, focusing a little less on what's going on in my head because my head's trying to run the show and just focus my energy towards being, just choosing to be, be no one, be no, nothing and just be alive and be a human being and less of like a human doing. But I also do find a lot of benefit in uh, TED Talks, structured self-development, writing, as well as journaling is my newest endeavor and just getting my ideas and thoughts onto paper 
in a more concise, structured way uh, so it isn't such a jumbled mess in my head. If you could give yourself a piece of advice in that very first year, what do you think that piece of advice should be? What would it be? Make make more lists. Make more lists and uh, talk about things. Find people who have what you want and go up to them. And personally, I find ment mentors with a lot of different things, from my photography, drones, small business, rock climbing. Each and every one of these things, I have a mentor. I have someone who is further along, more developed in it. I could go around in circles with a vast amount of trial and error, or I could find someone who's already been there, who's done that, who has more experience than I do, that I could learn from. Make more lists. What does that mean? Well, I want to say priorities, but I think the original word is priority, because we can't really focus on more than one thing at a time. And just getting really focused on what kind of skills, abilities, being more self-aware of what I'm actually able and capable of bringing to the table at the moment, actually writing down a lot of things from uh, where do I see myself today with my work? Where do I want to see myself? Do I feel the need for continued education or a vocation, vocational training? Um, physically, um, I feel like exercise, I was definitely lacking in the first year. And that in itself brings a lot of um, assets to the table. Just the simple act of going out for a run or exercising and getting in that routine and learning how to do that for and with myself. And then once I find myself at a certain phase of it, inviting others to come with and getting a routine and asking myself, what? now that I'm being recreated, now that I, I'm becoming a new person in this whole process, what does that person look like? If there is a God of my understanding, if there is a higher power, what would that creator want me to do with my time? And actually taking a good review of my day, how I'm using my time, and how I could best use it. If you could sum up in a couple sentences what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today, what would you say? Well, I'd have to say what it used to be like. It was very difficult. It was a lot of extra weight that I didn't even realize I was carrying around with me. Um, what happened was I basically just got to breathe a deep breath. I got to be completely honest and experience a coalescence of sorts internally. And what it's like now is just trying to maintain that, trying to do a few simple things just to maintain a certain level of freedom, but also being open to others. All right. Is there anything that we missed that you want to elaborate on? The, the only thing that I could add on is basically just find, find someone who, who might be a bit more further along with the process, mm -hmm. who, has like, who is getting results in their life that you would like to see, and start asking them questions. Um, me having less to talk about and more to ask about was really a pivotal change in uh, adding a lot of value to my life. Um, as well as actually getting fully self-expressed with other people on the impact and influence they have had on you in a positive, generative way. And just being completely honest with other people and helping build those around us up. Thanks, Jason, for joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for checking us out. 
You can find more of our episodes at recoveryedgecast.com. Also on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.